Welcome to AML Conversations, the Solution Series. This podcast series focuses on practical information about solutions to challenges you face in your financial crime compliance program. These solutions include managed services, technology, advisory, and third-party risk management. You can access this series and other AML Conversations and This Week in AML podcasts at our website, amlrightsource.com, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome back to the Solution Series. In this episode, we're going to be talking about how AI can be leveraged for the compliance function. Joining me is David McLaughlin, our Executive Vice President of Technology Sales, and of course, Leandra Loss, our Principal Data Scientist. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Rachel. Dave, could you please provide our listeners with a brief introduction to your background and expertise? Uh, sure. I, I think the most relevant part of the, uh, my background is uh, spent... Before I founded Quantiverse, and I'll talk a little bit more about that, I spent about 20 years in financial services uh, technology, um, you know, both in development of the technology, uh, guiding development, as well as uh, marketing the technology, uh, sales, and um, uh, working with customers to understand what their needs of the technology were to help sort of create a roadmap and then uh, go sell the products that uh, the firm I was with created. Uh, in 2014, I founded uh, Quantiverse, um, which um, was an AI firm specifically focused in the financial crime compliance space, anti-money laundering, to be very specific. Um, and it was, you know, uh, uh, an output of that 20 years of work that I had done working with financial services and and understanding the challenges that they faced. And I just saw a huge opportunity in the compliance space and in anti-money laundering. You know, this is on the heels of huge fines, $2 billion fines, $9 billion fines that global regulators have placed on uh, large banks. And their reaction to those uh, fines were to throw people at the problem. Um, and, you know, while certainly that's a, a viable answer, um, and part of a, an important answer, there was also technology that I believe that we could develop to make that process work better, faster, cheaper. And so Quantiverse was founded with the intent to uh, enable uh, financial institutions to leverage the technology to make their people better at finding um, and reporting on potential financial crimes and money laundering as well as to sort through the huge, huge amounts of false positives quickly so that they didn't waste their time investigating legitimate customers and the transactions of those legitimate customers. So we found it 2014. Um, in 2000, August of 2021, just over two years uh, now, uh, AML Source acquired our firm because that vision made sense with their business. A large managed services uh, provider, one of the best, the best in the world, um, with a lot of investigators that could use better technology to complete their mission uh, in a more effective manner. So uh, they acquired us in uh, 2021, and uh, Leandro was with Quantiverse, and and all the folks from Quantiverse have come over and, and continue to develop the technology that our people are using. Thanks, Dave. I think that sets a nice foundation for our conversation today. 
I know you are both pretty passionate about AI being used as a tool to improve efficiency. So how does AI support human investigations and the compliance function? Yeah, I'll, I'll take a start at this, Leandro, and, and I have to, it's a great question, and I have to almost uh, bifurcate the answer um, between how it can effectively work today and what the future looks like. And, and the reason I, I answer it that way is because the changes in AI technology today that is kind of going on are radically different than when we started the firm in 2014, eight years ago. You know, eight years is not that long a time, but the development of AI technology today is completely different. I wouldn't start, if I'd started Quantumers today, it wouldn't look anything like what we started in, in 2014. It's that much of a sea change. So, you know, we started the firm, um, it was rules-based detection. And, and, you know, we all know the, challenges with a straight rules-based detection engine. It creates a lot of uh, false positives. Um, and we developed Quantiverse and their fantastic capabilities in place today, state-of-the-art, that um, are able to provide an investigator with the data that they need, the specific data that they need around an alert, as well as an analytics capability of that data that's been acquired so they can quickly make the decision of whether uh, something is a false positive or a false negative. So that sea change from rules models to AI models was um, generational in its impact. The changes now from AI models to the use of large language models are an exponential change on that uh, previous one. And so let me just give you a, give you an example of uh, the, the way that works today. Very viable, very effective. Um, if uh, let's make a scenario up, I have a son that lives on the west coast of the United States, uh, a struggling actor. I'm making this up, I'll, I'll, uh, fictional, struggling actor, and I'm supporting him to survive. And I send him ten thousand dollars every single month. In the old rules based world. That ten thousand dollar transaction might trip a rule about round, round dollars. The rule would say any round dollar you see, you create an alert, and a human has to investigate. Even though I do it every single month to send my son money to support it. What an AI model would say would look at is uh, the history of those transactions to see if they've changed in frequency, see if they changed in volumes. They would look at my son as the counterparty to the transaction to see if there's a relationship, which there, there would be, both financial as well as um, a human relationship. And they might potentially look at any media in the environment about my son or myself that might be negative, that might indicate some sort of nefarious activity. So, you know, a very effective way to do work that an investigator might have to sort through both internal data as well as Google data, as well as uh, adverse media data to come up with an answer. Uh, again, state of the art today, very effective. What the future of this looks like is that if we look at just that na natural language processing to create adverse media as one example, 
the way that that was created, the way that Quantiverse created that technology was to spend hours, and Lahitra can put color on this, hundreds, thousands of hours, tens of thousands of hours annotating the English language. We had people, I did it myself, much to Leandra's chagrin, would go in and make annotations to text to train the model what was appropriate or what it was reading versus uh, what might indicate risk. Large language models, LLMs, have gotten rid of the need to have linguists, professional linguists, or laymen like myself, annotating models. So the development is much quicker. The accuracy based on the trillions of sentences and words that large language models have trained on without annotations is much more, um, it's much more accurate. So the rate of false positives is much lower and the identification of criminal behavior is much more uh, accurate. So the reason I say this is, uh, the reason I bring this up is, as great as Quantiverse is today, and we are uh, the technology, the AI technology at AML Right Source is what I believe far superior to um, other AI technologies in the space. The development that AML Right Source is putting into this today is going to make this radically different in the future. And here's the bottom line of that radical difference. Today, it is the AI models pushing information out to the investigator, valuable information, information that they can use, information that speeds their investigation, information that makes it more accurate and allows them to make a determination. In the future, that human is still part of this process, but now they will be able to interact with the artificial intelligence. Instead of information being pushed to the investigator, now the investigator will be able to interact in a way that suits the investigator. So this is the future. Imagine being able to now ask your computer, okay, Dave's son is in uh, the West Coast pursuing an acting career and he gets a $10,000 check from his father uh, every month. Um, is there any indication that he has been, uh, has a, is actually in the acting business? Does he have an agent? Has he been in commercials? There's a question and answering that now the investigator can do to get better information at their fingertips. And so any company that is developing NLP the old way that we did in 2014, 2015, is a dinosaur smoking cigarettes. They are dead in three to five years. This technology is going to be so different and it is going to be so dependent it's so dependent, not on the model that was created. 2014, 2015, we created an NLP model, natural language processing model. It is now create, dependent on the knowledge that the firm has to build the LLF or fine-tune the LLF or to use contextual data for the LLF. And that's where AML Source shines. We are a business, we are a company that is built on investigators investigating money laundering, fraud, and financial crimes. We have a huge base of knowledge that we are able to use to make our large language models the best in the industry. 
we have subject matter expertise experts that aren't tech people. John Byrne, probably the most world-renowned expert in anti-money laundering, is a part of our knowledge base to build these LLMs, these large language models. So this new world of language models being utilized to improve the accuracy, speed, effectiveness of, of any use case, but in particular clients in our conversation, uh, uh, compliance and um, anti-money laundering, requires what right source has and what no other technology provider has. And that's knowledge basis and that's expertise. And so we think we are on the forefront. We believe we're on the forefront and we believe that we are uniquely positioned to drive the change, take the change that is happening in the AI world and make it usable to our customers. It's a little bit long answer, but I had to differentiate between the world today and where this is going because it's so exciting and it's so important. And, and the answer to, to your question of, how is this human involved in compliance? They're now going to interact. That's how they're they're going to be, be involved in the in the technology of the future. I'd like to get into the detail a bit more, and perhaps this is a question for you, Leandro. But how do we develop our AI solutions, and how do they find a case of money laundering, human trafficking, or even adverse media? Well, Dave set the bar really high here. He's already setting like. Uh, technology that is months old, you know. So uh, I will, however, step back and keep uh, keep with the line of explanations that I was giving before by breaking down this technology into tools inside the toolbox. And I'm going to place uh, the technology that we've mentioned, the large language models, the GPT and whatnot, into that toolbox that you know, in this case, it's a tool inside the machine learning or the deep learning and the AI box. And I'm going to place it inside, you know, the steps that I'm going to provide in my answer now. So, Rachel, as usual, I start with my disclaimer. So the answer depends really on the expertise and the experience of whom you're asking. So, again, I'm going to give you an answer based on my experience, my familiarity with the problem. And I'm going to do it in, in kind of a timeline way, meaning that's where I would start and that's how, how we would finish or, or deploy the project. I usually start from the expert, okay? So you're talking about money laundering, human traffickers. If I could have a conversation with the criminals, I, I would sit in front of them and start asking questions. Obviously, we, we can't do that. So the best we have, and we're very fortunate both with Quantiverse and AML uh, right source is that we have those experts right here. Uh, you know, um, at the end of an email or, or a, a, the phone line that we can call and ask questions. So why start with them? Uh, I think AI, in my opinion, is very powerful if it's oriented or guided, driven by humans. And that's how I start my, my, my solutions. It's from the experts. From the experts, we're going to find, we're going to learn, since we're talking about criminalities, right? Uh, we're going to talk about red flags, patterns, anomalous behaviors, suspicious behavior, inconsistent behaviors or activities. Um, if we're talking about money laundering, we would be talking about, you know, 
transactional patterns like pass through, round tripping, round dollar, you know, uh, structuring, and so on. Common ownership or relation between the parties, transacting parties, the values, volumes, and velocity, frequency that these transactions are going in and out of, of accounts, uh, the jurisdictions that are involved, some of them with very loose regulations around around transparency and 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 uh, you know tax evasion and money laundering activity. Uh, if we're talking about human trafficking, you have that street level kind of information, like the the multiple hotel rooms booked by the same credit card, the late night activity, the the. Sl- the small dollar amounts at ATMs, you know, all those are used as how does the expert see the problem? How do they spot the problem, right? Out of of thousands, millions of transactions that go in and out of the financial system every day. The next step then, going down that timeline, once you have this understanding of the problem from the best in the field, you're going to choosing the, 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 the tools in our toolbox, in this case, the AI, that was your question, um, to solve each of those, those issues, those, those red flags or, or suspicious activity. Those could be uh, the use of graphs or networks uh, for transactional behavior, for transactions. Uh, it could be time series uh, for val- values, volumes, and velocity. It could be NLP, natural language processing, what we're talking about news media, the scraping, the, the analysis of news media and other media, uh, textual media. It could be someone supervised learning, since we've talked about this already, clustering uh, of business purposes to see what's normal, what's not, right? Um, The next step now, once you have these tools, the AI tools that address every single red flag, okay? These red flags now are different problems, right? How do we bring, how do we tie all this together? Then machine learning comes along. Because machine learning is able to get all these red flags and, and maybe a score about severity or frequency or, or uh, prevalence of, of that activity, of their red flag. And it's able to put all together and say, what would be my decision if I saw this, um, you know, being, being uh, um, this type of activity being, being done in my, in my transactional uh, data? And that decision, where does it come from? We already talked about this. So what would be the input and the output would, again, come from the experts, the people who are doing this on a daily basis. So there are two ways. You either look at the historical data, the historical decisions they made, and you say, oh, uh, based on the red flag A, B, and D, uh, they made this decision. This is suspicious. Now, because A, B, and D uh, showed up with E and F, this is not suspicious anymore. And machine learning is able with its modeling techniques to tie those two together. So in the future, it is able to, every time it sees that combination of red flags, to give that adjudication that was provided by the the expert. And of course, we already talked about the good machine learning that is able to also interpolate interpolate and extrapolate from, from the data that it saw before. So... It is really able to mold the, the decisions around, not rules, not by saying $10,000, but a, a different set of numbers that morph together for that particular typology or criminality, right? So what comes next? 
So we talk to the experts, we gather some input. The input in this case for the machine learning is really the red flags that the investigators are, are finding or looking at or looking for. Um, and then you connect to the output, which is what is this in fact? Is it a case of uh, money laundering, human trafficking, suspicious, not suspicious, so on? Well, the next step now is evaluation, right? How do you know that uh, your machine learning is really up to what humans are doing? So there's evaluations, there is measurements of uncertainties, of uh, biases. Uh, we detect weak spots, blind spots. We put guardrails around it to make sure that this thing is not, you know, completely going on tangent on, you know, um, on on incriminating everyone from a certain jurisdiction or 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 um, type of activity, right? Um, finally, and of course, in this evaluation, what we found in practice is that, and that connects to the number of false positives that uh, that Dave mentioned, is that. When you look at these adjudications, okay, it's very clear for a machine, for, for machine learning, for a model to say, these are obviously uh, suspicious cases or criminal cases. And also on the other extreme, it could say, these are obvious non-criminal activity. And then there's this gray area. And yes, nowadays you have large language models. Uh, you have other technology that could make that adjudication automatic, except that the industry is not ready for automatic decisions on suspicious activity or not. So what we do is that instead of giving all these decisions, including the easy ones, we take the easy ones out, the, the, the ones that are basically uh, a replication of what happened in the past, both in the input and the output. So you don't need to make that decision again. But if there is any variation that go beyond, statistically speaking, from what you've seen before, we call that a gray area, and we can present back to the experts. So now the experts do not have to handle with a 1,000 cases a day. They handle maybe 300, 200. I'm talking about the team, of course. Uh, that the machine was able to filter through and say, these are ones that, you know, I could take a guess on it, but I'd rather give it to you because we're trying to do responsible decisioning here. LLMs. LLMs as a tool, it's a great tool. It's the, the biggest power, I believe. It's the ability to communicate with human beings in their own game, in their own language. The LLM is able to put information together, both from the internet and from its own reasoning, um, to understand, create this type of relationship for you. So it's a great tool. They've spilled the beans a little bit. We are developing tools, powerful tools, uh, using that that powerful uh, technology, and the results are amazing. Yeah, there is no reason for us to go back to 2014 model and try to improve all that when you have better technology today. And so, also, you, you know, think about that for a second of of the that ability to um, interact on a broader scale than than used to happen. So, for example, I you know, I've, in the course of building company talked to literally thousands of investigators about their jobs and what they did and how they did it. And you know, there's several themes in those conversations that came out. Uh, you, you know, uh, mundane, repeatable tasks that took all of their days searching Google, so on and so forth, that uh, current AI has solved. Um, uh, regulators um, following a, uh, a review that has 
uh, process oriented and not results oriented was a common theme that I heard from uh, uh, leadership of a compliance organization. But another one that doesn't get talked about as much is a lot of people feel, well, investigators feel alone in the world. And what I mean by that is um, they have their set of facts and, and they have their peers inside the walls of the organization that they can talk to. They have the supervisors they can review things with. But besides the RFI process, there is no way to look outside of their organization to understand a bigger picture of what the transactions that they're seeing need. So, you know, most of the time when a criminal is laundering money, they're not laundering it through one organization, they're laundering it through several organizations. And what the investigator sees is a piece of a jigsaw hustle, and only one piece of, the jig of that jigsaw hustle. And they don't know how that piece of that jigsaw puzzle fits into the whole puzzle of the whole picture. Now, okay, with the um, training of these future technologies, with the use of these future technologies, it is very easy for an investigator to, to ask, uh, to, to prompt an LLM, uh, a, a language model, with the information and the facts that they have, and immediately get a very clear view on how that might fit into a large transnational money and not feel like their one little piece might be legitimate or it might be illicit and they can't really tell and they're relying on maybe some bad NLP tools that have been developed that create a ton of false positives and uh, the average media that they're looking for because it was based on linguists that were annotating or um, it's a model that has been... Um, uh, left to not get updated and is no longer providing relevant information. There's an ability now to go outside of the walls of an organization to retrieve, quickly retrieve, um, accurate, up-to-date, relevant information about the case. Well, they didn't, the only tool that they had to do that the best was an RFI, which nobody, you know, nine out of ten times you don't get an answer. So that, that um, the ability to stitch together a view of outside of an organization is something that's going to um, uh, provide an investigator an ability to identify financial crimes and money laundering much quicker, much more effectively than they were able to. What a time to be alive. What a time to be, what a time to be alive. Exactly right. I guess following on from this, can AI learn a new red flag or typology and how does it do this? Well, you can basically approach it the same way you did, uh, as I described the Bob, right? Uh, or before it's, you start from the experts again, they detected a new pattern. You talk to the AI experts, they, they devise new, new technique, new tools. They improve the red flag detection approach. They um, improve their machine learning model to now incorporate that new input and you get the output. I'll give you just an example that uh, it was interesting because it was w right after we created this new capability to our system uh, five years ago, we found this sore, sore thumb on the, uh, on the data. 
So we built this system, a clustering system that would analyze the transactions between lines of business. So the idea was to, can we look at historical data and determine what's normal and what's not normal in terms of transactions between corporations, right? So let's say, you know, if you're a car parts and you send tires to an automaker, that would be okay. But if you're a banana exporter, all of a sudden you're sending a million dollars to a car parts, you know, that thing uh, you haven't seen a lot in the past. The first thing that popped out was computer company in Germany sending consistently and lots of money to a casino in Saipan. And then there was, of course, one red flag that said, hey, this thing is very anomalous. We haven't seen before. Put it together with the, the, the fact that the, the owner of the company was a German politician and there was other transactions going into his account. There's this whole story of how he was laundering money through Saipan that six months later uh, came out on the news. The FBI just raided the place and so on. So one thing that I want to say is that you can't start from the human beings, but you can also, the human beings can be assisted by the, by the AI that is solving the problems. Why? Because between the lines here, when I say that, the, that AI is modeling a pattern, a behavior, that's, that also means that AI is detecting the boundary between what's normal or not normal and the unknown. There's always this area that he hasn't experienced before. That's the outlier for the statistical system. So what we do is that every time we run our system, we have a little log that logs behavior that hasn't, hasn't been seen before, statistically speaking, uh, based on the distance to that model. That's the uncertainty to say, let's say you're a, an autonomous car and you're driving this road and then there's a situation that you've never driven before. You've never seen that in your training data. You have the ability to say, driver, take back the seat, take back the wheel, because I don't know what I'm doing here. So it reports its uncertainty. That can be driven back to the expert to say, oh, no, this is normal. It's just that it, it's very rare and uh, you've never seen before. Or he says, wait a minute, this looks like a new pattern that criminals could be employing. So absolutely, AI is there to learn new red flags, typologies, and automate the, the, the process, the laborious process that the human being, the investigator, would have would have to go through. And it can happen in, uh, much more quickly than without an AI tool. So, you know, again, before to identify new typologies and, and new threats that uh, criminals were engaging in, it goes back to the previous conversation about the community interacting with each other. And so that community had to interact with each other to identify um, patterns that criminals were engaged in that would, you know, FinCEN might put a notice out on and then someone might might write a new rule against and then a model risk management committee would have to approve and then it would have to go to QA and testing and deployment and three years later, all of a sudden the criminals have vetoed all beyond that typology. So, you know, having a, a an AI machine learning based technology be able to see those patterns much more quickly and develop an ability to say, this looks risky. You should investigate this um, uh, without going through that entire multi-year process of getting a rule 
uh, written in a fruits and engaged. You know, it's just better for the world. Uh, so it is, in addition to, you know, how Leandro said how it happens, um, it's important to know that it can be really quick in, in identifying new patterns that spectroculars are, are used. You must hear this a lot, but what if AI gives me the wrong result? What happens then? I think it's very clear that, uh, you know, humans make mistakes, AI makes mistake. I think the issue here, honestly speaking, is really the the black boxiness of AI. And people think AI is black box in comparison to a human brain, as Dave said, you know, ask one investigator to justify why they made a mistake. Now ask a hundred of them, two hundred of them, five hundred of them why they made a mistake. It, it's crazy, right? The black box boxiness of AI can be addressed. We actually addressed, Dave mentioned that we started in 2014, and in 2017, all our AI was explainable already. We devised new ways of determining with the output, with the adjudication, all the parameters, all the, the, the confidence levels on those particular red flags. So you would say that someone, this, this few transactions are suspicious because it's 60% due to round dollar transactions. It's 25% due to uh, adverse media found. And it's this much percentage of you know, other factors that someone could look at. In practice, is really what are you going to tell the regulator that your AI, what they call today, right? The, the buzzword is hallucination. Uh, when he hallucinates, when he made a mistake. So, right. So, what are you going to say? Look, this is not an argument today. As I said, since 2017, our company has the ability to explain every single detail, not with neural networks, not with mathematical formulations and parameters, but with human language, the, the language that the investigator understands, which is, this is the prevalence of these red flags, Here's the piece of evidence. It's 30% adverse media, and here are the links to those media. So you can verify yourself. And as I said prior, you have the, the, the clear criminal activity, the clear non-criminal, and the gray area. That's where the evidence and the explanation comes along and can actually explain when and why AI did wrong. We can detect the biases, we can fix the biases with new data, with proper training. Um, can you do that with a human being? It's harder, right? You have to retrain. You have to have access to the same, the same source of education, of, of uh, content, of, of guidelines, which is much harder. So I'll just leave it with that. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a, a great a question and uh, has uh, been a question that we've um, addressed from the day we started the, uh, the company. And AI certainly does make mistakes. I mean, the false positive rate on a adverse media model that is built with the old NLT is really high. I mean, the annotation of taking a linguist and annotating sentences is from top to air um, and creation that air um, manifests itself in a false positive. 
which costs the user time and money. Um, so there certainly uh, are mistakes uh, that are made that will, and while continue to be, there will continue to be mistakes and errors, even with the next generation of this technology, while they will be lower and less, significantly lower and significantly less, there still will be mistakes. So the answer to the question goes back to, sort of goes to the changing nature of the work of an, of an analyst, of an investigator. Okay. So one answer is what happens when they make mistakes today, right? Humans make mistakes. And when they make a mistake today, hopefully it is caught through some QA review process. And the same would happen, same happens and would continue to happen in the next generation of this technology um, through a review in a QA uh, process. So the, when I mentioned the changing nature of the work, what you can expect for the humans, the investigator and analyst is to be part of that QA and review process themselves. So we could eliminate level one investigations through the use of uh, this new technology, the new generation of technology, uh, offshoring to um, low skilled and uh, early compensated um, level one investigators overseas who are prone to make mistakes, language differences, data differences, whatever the cause of those mistakes, training, we're training, whatever calls of those mistakes um, in the future, that will be eliminated. Almost assuredly, that will be eliminated. Um, and what that means is then the analyst that gets a case that has still been through a level one screening, but that level one screening has been done by the technology is now the QA for that level one screen. Very quickly able to see the results of it, interact with the technology and make a determination whether in fact this is something that warrants a complete investigation or this is a false positive that no longer needs to be looked at. That will be part of that process. So that changing nature of the work of the investigator will be, okay, how do I QA this? QA this uh, level one So the human interaction of this will now be much more about QAing and providing expertise and insight than it will be about uh, finding data, Google searching, sorting through multiple false positives of adverse that an adverse media technology will create and in fact, interacting with the technology to determine what the right and appropriate uh, answer is. That'll, that'll be the changing nature of that work. And that's how the stakes will be bought. Now, the last paragraph of the answer to that question, I'm sorry to propose today, is when a human makes mistakes, a human makes a mistake. How much do you think they learn from it? Real. I mean, I, I bought my ha hammer and I nailed a, a hammer every single day. I never seem to learn how to hammer and nail without pounding my thumb. You know, a machine is trainable. So when a machine makes a mistake and the human acts as QA and as a review process, that goes back into that machine, that goes back into the uh, training of that, that uh, machine so that those mistakes are fewer and more infrequent than they were 
uh, in the past. So it's a, it is a virtuous cycle um, when a, a machine makes a mistake and the human becomes part of the QA process. The investigator becomes part of the machine. Before we wrap up this episode, do you, either of you have any closing remarks or final pieces to add? Uh, my only is whether to sort of reiterate what you said, Rachel, it's a brave new world. Uh, I think the uh, changes that that we're going to see in this industry and the changes that the email rights are investing in and our unique position to take advantage of these technological advantages. There's no other, uh, there's no other company that can do what it is that we're doing right now. And I think that's, that's great for us. It's great for our customers. And I think it's great for the uh, future state. Of this sure. So I think my final take is uh, don't let the, you know, what some sales people, I don't want to attack. Maybe I shouldn't say salespeople, but don't let the, you know, don't take it personal, uh, Dave. But uh, there's a lot of companies that are really good at a, a tiny piece or a tiny tool, and they tend to dismiss the new technology. When internally, our team has become really good at embracing new technology. We're actually excited about experimenting and and devising new solutions all with uh, those new technologies. Most of us are scientists. We come from academia. We we wanna we wanna work on the state of the art, on the edge of of the new development. So that's exciting for us. And one thing that we've been very honest from the beginning, and uh, Dave can you know correct me if I'm wrong, but we we basically dropped potential clients because they had dreams that we couldn't address. That the technology wasn't ready for the time, and we're. Pretty honest to say, look, it can't be done that way. We can do it this way. There are limitations. So we always, we're always honest on uh, what he can do and what he cannot do. And I, I think that's important. So if you find someone dismissing this new technology because of hallucinations, biases, and and this and that, and the cost and this, please take a step back, talk to someone that is more balanced and more uh, fair on their. Um, uh, there's their, you know, um, uh, assumptions and, um, you know, education is key. So our doors are open. If you want to talk about this, I think this podcast is great to display what we usually do in closed doors. So thank you for the opportunity, Rachel. Great. Well, thank you both so much. Thank you. Thanks, Rachel. And with that, we conclude our four part AI series. It's also the last episode of the Solution Series for 2023. So I just want to say thank you to our listeners for your ongoing support and season's greetings. Thanks for listening to this episode of AML Conversations, the Solution Series. More episodes will be posted in the coming months. If you find this installment interesting, there is more great content at amlrightsource.com. If we can help you with your financial crime compliance needs, schedule a meeting on our website. Together we can reimagine compliance.